What's going on, everybody? Thank you so much for joining me here for this Thursday edition of Fantasy MLB Today. We are a sports ethos presentation, of course, and I'm your host, Joe Orico. You can find me over on Twitter at JoeOrico99 and also at EthosFantasyBB. That is the account where we post all of our new podcasts, articles, polls, news, and notes. All of our baseball content and information does get shared out over there. That's E-T-H-O-S Fantasy BB. Make sure you guys are following us there. And also check out SportsEthos.com if you haven't done so already. Basketball is about four or five days away now. If you haven't got yourself a fantasy pass, you really should. There are a ton of different options over on the website. I would recommend getting the all-sport fantasy pass. Then you get basketball, which is, like I said, right about the kickoff. You got football, which is right in the swing of things in midseason just about now. And then you'll get all of our baseball content. You get all that wrapped together. You should check out sportsethos.com. There are a ton of different packages, like I said. But I would recommend getting the one that does include all the different sports. It's pretty much the same price as just the basketball one. I think it's an extra dollar or two per month. And it's really something that I would be checking out if I were you guys now, today, I've been teasing it. We're going to get back to doing something that was pretty popular last offseason. We're going to start looking back position by position and reviewing from the top down of rankings boards how guys did, how they did versus their ADP, their actual stats, and their overall outlook uh, for 2024 as well. We're going to start with catcher. We are going to do pretty much the same thing we did last year. Now, there's a couple different ways you can go about this. You can go by rank and look at you know number one catcher, number two catcher, number three catcher, and so on. Or you could go by ADP and look at who was getting drafted where and then look at it from that perspective. Now, we are going to talk about ADP, but I have decided to go based on the rankings, based on who was the best performing catcher and then work our way down from there. We're going to do 10 today and then we're going to do another 10 tomorrow. I don't think there really is that much of a need to go deeper than that when reviewing. I mean, there's beyond that, there's really not that many fantasy viable options an interesting thing with catcher that I noticed, and I'm looking at 15-team league values over on Razball, is that there were only 15 catchers in total who even had a positive dollar value in terms of auctions. There really weren't that many great standout catchers. Now, there were a couple of really good ones that did come across the waiver wire throughout the year. But there were also a good number of catchers that were drafted that did not really return incredible value. I'll put it that way. Uh, there's you know a, a bit of a mixed bag like there usually is, but it's not that deep of a position really um, in terms of the guys that are actually you know, giving you positive value. Because there are guys that you can pick up randomly here and there throughout the year that were good for a stretch or two. But in terms of actual sustained value behind the plate, there really weren't that many guys. The person who was head and shoulders, number one here, if you look at rankings, and maybe head and shoulders is a little bit too strong, but you know it had a decent lead in terms of dollar values and in terms of overall rankings. It was William Contreras, and I don't think anybody was really expecting William Contreras to pop off a number one catcher season, but there you have it. He was drafted as the 155th player off the board, a ninth catcher, generally, uh, if you're looking at Yahoo ADP, around the ninth catcher being drafted. I was not expecting him to return number one value. I thought he was maybe a borderline top 10 catcher, but 86 runs, 78 RBI, 17 homers, and six stolen bases. I mean, 289 batting average to boot. I mean, he was just excellent across the board. It did take him a little while to heat up, but once he did, uh, there was nobody better that you could have had behind the plate than William Contreras. His price next year is probably going to go up a little bit. I don't know if he'll be the number one catcher drafted. I don't know that there's going to be that much you know, juice behind his name that people will say, okay, I'm going to be comfortable taking William Contreras 
with my, you know, as my first catcher with the number, you know, 80 or 90 roughly overall pick. Catchers will get pushed up, especially in two catcher leagues. And that is kind of something that you have to also take into account here. When you're looking at ADPs for catcher, it'll be very different if you're looking at NFBC versus Yahoo. So he was generally going like 110, 120 or so, I think, on NFBC, but that does get pushed down 30, 40 spots if you are looking at Yahoo and single catcher formats. From the 155, actually, sorry, 157 ADP spot, though, it's hard to find somebody uh, behind the plate who gave you better production and better value. He was excellent. Now, in terms of what the team is going to look like next year, offensively, they're not a great team around him, but he, even with this year, showed you that he doesn't need such a robust offense around him to put up good production. They were 17th in runs, 24th in hits, 23rd in batting average, uh, 24th in homers, and 25th in slugging across Major League Baseball. They were really not an offensive powerhouse, and yet Contreras was still able to give you really good production. Really good walk rate for you guys who are in on-base percentage leagues as well, 10.3%. A big thing with him coming into the season was the strikeouts were a little bit too high, quite a bit too high if you looked at his major league sample sizes. You're looking at 29% strikeout rate in 2021. Last year was 27.7%. This year he got it all the way down to 20.6%. Really, really good. Now his ISO did go down, his slugging percentage did generally go down, and it wasn't the home run total that we were expecting after getting 20 homers from him in 97 games last year. A lot of people were probably thinking, if I can get 120, 130 games out of Contreras, then I'm probably looking at 30 home runs. Well, he played 141 games, which is a really solid number for a catcher to be playing. 108 behind the dish, 33 as a designated hitter. But he only gave you the 17 homers. Regardless of that, considering he boosted the batting average up, considering he went from two to six stolen bases, and those counting stats were really, really good. 86 runs and 78 RBIs. You'll take the bit of a reduction in power. I think for next year, you can kind of project him as like a top five catcher, roughly. Uh, it's still too early in my process to really have rankings down for next season. But I think he's probably a top five catcher. The offense around him is not amazing. But I think, you know, like I said, he was able to sustain a really excellent season, even with that kind of poor offense around him. 86 runs, 78 RBIs. Really, really good number. He led all catchers in runs and in RBIs. I believe he was second. Uh, my leaderboard is kind of freezing. No, sorry, he was fourth in RBIs. But you'll take what he gave you every single day. Uh, really great production from Contreras and no real shocker um, looking at his production at the end of the day that his you know that does equal the number one catcher for this season. It's a shocker if you're thinking about it from the beginning of the year perspective, but if you look at the numbers, uh, it's clear why he is the number one in terms of dollar values. Adley Rutschman comes in at number two, 84 runs, 20 homers, 80 RBIs, and one stolen base to go along with a 277 batting average. Adley was pretty much everything that we expected him to be. I don't think that there's going to be too much of a change in terms of the way people view him. He was going off the board as the number five catcher on Yahoo with an ADP of 84. You'll probably see that move up a little bit I don't know that it necessarily should specifically in your one catcher leagues I could see him in your two catcher leagues NFBC leagues people may be pushing him up a little bit more but he pretty much returned what you were hoping for if you're looking at the Yahoo player ranker he was 140th overall so I don't really know just because he's a catcher that I want to be pushing him up too too much now there is something to be said for having an anchor like that at catcher Adley Rutschman, he played 154 games this year. Getting those kind of plate appearances out of your catching spot is pretty rare. 
but I don't know that I want to be pushing them up super, super high. People probably will a little bit just because the you know sexy new thing on the block kind of appeal. The team is really good. He had a really good season. You could argue a breakout kind of year after 2022 coming on the season, kind of breaking out in 22. But then in 2023, you know, he gave you nearly 700 plate appearances as a catcher. Now, granted, like all catchers, there's a good chunk of that that came as a DH. 46 games, he was a designated hitter. He caught 110 games. But you'll still take those plate appearances. You figure he can project as somebody who is going to have those kind of plate appearances pretty much, maybe not every season. You can say that that's probably going to be a little unrealistic to, to expect that. But as somebody who is a switch hitter, they're not going to be you know using him only versus certain handed pitchers. He's going to be somebody who does get into the lineup pretty much every single day. So you can project him forward as a guy who is probably going to be playing a lot more games than the average catcher. I think that you're reasonable to take him off the board as your number one catcher, but I don't know that I need to be pushing up the actual number that high. If you're talking about you know a top 100 pick for sure, obviously he was 84th last year. He'll probably go in like the 70, 60 range maybe. It's still really early, and then I, the couple of drafts that I've done, they've been two catcher drafts, so he does get pushed up to like the third round, 40-something overall. In your standard league, like a lot of you guys are going to be playing, I can probably expect him to go maybe in the 50s, 50s to 60 kind of range. And honestly, the production was very good, but I don't know that it's that good. If you're talking like dollar values, uh, he returned, where was it? I just had the page up here. It was $13.3 in 15 uh, team leagues. That was his dollar value. So I wouldn't be going crazy as, as good as he is. And as good as a lot of these catchers are, I don't really think that there is a need to be pushing any of them up like to an extreme amount. Like I talked about, it's kind of a, it's kind of an interesting situation because there are 15, like I said, catchers for this season who were a positive dollar value, but there's also a decent number of them who weren't that you could still kind of get away with, you know, your Tyler Stevenson's of the world, Gabriel Moreno, you can kind of get away with them and they're not going to be amazing, but you're also getting like all right production from like not even an ADP that you have to worry about at all, like 200 plus where with Rutschman, you're going to have to push them up pretty high. Not to say that Rutschman and, and Moreno are necessarily going to be similar stat wise. Although I do think that Moreno is going to be an absolute beast. If he continues this power unlocking that we've seen in the playoffs, maybe he is closer to Rutschman in terms of overall value than we are expecting at this point. I think there's still a chance of that. But I do think that there is kind of an opportunity with the number of even just mediocre catchers that you don't have to jump up the board. You you can, and like I don't have any problem with going for those Real Mudos and for the Rutschmans and you know, in previous years like the Sal Perez's of the world, he's kind of getting on a little bit. But those kind of names, I don't really have a problem with it, but I also don't feel too strongly that you need to be pushing these guys up and taking a catcher in the fourth round or the fifth round. When I feel pretty comfortable waiting, even if it's just three or four or five rounds more, I, I like these guys, but their production, you know, you have to kind of keep it in perspective of Rushman was about the 140th most valuable player this season. Just because he's a catcher, does that mean I should draft him 100 spots higher? No, it maybe means I should draft them a little bit higher, but I think once we're getting past like pick 60, 70 in a draft, you're kind of killing all the value that you have there. There were no catchers who were top 100 players this season. William Contreras finished 106th, if you look at the Yahoo player ranker. You don't need to be pushing them up that much. That That is my main point there.
Let's move on to number three, and that would be our friend Will Smith from the Dodgers. 80 runs, 19 homers, 76 ribbies, three stolen bases, and a 261 batting average. Maybe not quite what you were expecting, but pretty damn close, right? Like last year, it was 24 homers, 68 runs, 87 ribbies. You lost five homers. You you gained 12 runs. You lost 11 ribbies. It gained a couple steals. The batting average was within, was within one point. So it's pretty much what you were expecting from Will Smith. Number three catcher overall is pretty solid. That He was being drafted as a number four catcher, 78th overall in terms of all players. I think that this is kind of just what we're going to get from Will Smith. I don't know that there's too much analysis that I need to give on him. He he is who we think he is. He's somebody who's going to hit roughly 20 to 25 homers. He's batting in the middle of an excellent lineup. So you're looking at probably 80 runs, 80 RBIs as a rough number you can expect every single year. A couple of steals, nothing that's going to really move the needle too much. One last year, three this year. You know, you're probably going to, in my projections, I'll probably have him down for two. Just average it out, one or two, something like that. And you're getting a fairly solid batting average from a catcher. A 261 batting average from your catcher is really, really good. It's pretty much like getting a 280 batting average from another player just because generally, as much as I said that you can find value from the catcher slot, it doesn't come from the batting average position. So 260 is actually like a positive if you're talking about catchers. Overall, I think he's going to just continue to do what he does. He is 28 years old, 28 and a half. He's going to be turning 29 just when next season starts, so he's still right in the middle of that prime. There's a chance we're adding Shohei Otani into the middle of that lineup so he can just boost up the projections a little bit more if that does happen in terms of your counting stats. That top of the order, if they do have Mookie, Otani, and Freeman, like, oh my God, like that's going to be ridiculous. Anybody batting even anywhere around them, and you have to assume Smith would be right behind them, is going to be in a good position to hit, uh, not get a lot of runs, uh, put it that way for sure. He's somebody who was playing in the last three seasons, 130, 137, and 126 games. So you pretty much know what you're getting across the board from Will Smith. I really like him. I think he was a pretty solid value at number 78 in drafts. Again, though, he finished as the 186th overall player for the season. So that's going to be kind of a general theme and a general point that I talk about with catchers. You don't need to push them up in one-catcher leagues. In two-catcher leagues, I do understand it because, like I said off the top, and I've said it a couple times now, 15 catchers were positive value in 15 teamers. You kind of want to have, at the very least, one of them. you know. And then you have to take a guy who's like 17th or 18th ranked, and he was like minus a dollar or $2 auction value. You'll, you'll take it in a 15-team mixed league. Like there's, there's not that many options. But you should probably try and have one guy who's returning good value uh, at the end of the day. Will Smith is going to be somebody, I think, that just continues to do what he does. But let's keep it going. Let's talk about the next guy on the list. And he was actually a surprise. He is the first real surprise. Because, I mean, Contreras, Rutschman, and Smith being one, two, three. Contreras, granted, you know, if you told me before the season that he would be number one, it'd be a surprise. But it wouldn't be like a holy shit. Like, it wouldn't be like a crazy surprise kind of thing. I think Jonah Heim finishing as the number four catcher did catch a lot of people off guard. Jonah Heim was being drafted, but he was the 231st player by ADP. Not somebody that was being taken in a lot of 12-team drafts. He might have been somebody that snuck in at the back. Maybe if you were, like, punting catcher and you took with your last pick, maybe you, you got lucky and took Jonah Heim. He had 61 runs, 18 homers, 95 RBIs, two stolen bases, and a 258 batting average. That's the kicker right there. It's the RBI total, and that comes from the early season just dredging 
that the Rangers were giving every team that they faced. Jonah Heim was an essential part of that team. Now, he did miss a bit of time. He was hurt. If he didn't get hurt, I wonder what he would have looked like. And he may have been the number one catcher just based on a volume standpoint if he didn't get hurt. First half of the season in those 78 games, 59 RBI. Like, we could have really seen a crazy RBI total from Jonah Heim, and we still did. 95 in 131 games is really, really good. 258 batting average was a little bit of a surprise. I wouldn't expect that to continue necessarily if you look at his batting average and BABIP trends year after year. You're looking at a 219 career hitter with a 231 BABIP. He had a 289 BABIP this season. I don't know that we're going to be able to see that sustain necessarily. The on base is probably going to be like pretty solid for a catcher, considering he has an 8 to 9% walk rate. That's pretty damn solid. But I don't know that we're going to be expecting a 258 batting average again from Jonah Heim. He's like a 240 kind of hitter, probably best case. 230 to 240 kind of range. Now, he can eat in that lineup just based on how solid everybody is around him. And even, you know, I'm not going to try to take things away from Jonah Heim. He's a 15 to 20 home run solid hitter who can, you know, steal a couple of bases for you behind the plate. He's shown that over the last couple of years that he's going to be a couple steals between 10 and 20 homer kind of range. Probably 15 to 20 is the more realistic number. And he is solid enough. He is solid as a catcher. I just wouldn't be expecting the same kind of year again from him next year. We saw the Rangers kind of falter in the second half. That's kind of just the nature of these things. Can Jonah Heim still give you a great value and great production? Yeah. Is he going to drive in close to 100? Probably, you know, he would have driven in 100 runs if he didn't get hurt this year. Is he going to do that again? Likely not, just based on year-to-year kind of variance with these type of players. Heim is good, but he's not that good that we can just say, yeah, oh, yeah, he's a lock for 100 RBIs. I'm not ready to say that yet. But I think conservatively here, I can project him for like 17 homers, 70 runs, and 75 RBI, probably something like that. And you'll take that. You'll take that. That is easily 10-team, 12-team, 15-team viable, no problem. I just think that we're probably going to have to regress our expectations a little bit heading into next year. Is he going to be a top five catcher again? If I had to guess now, I'd say probably not. Let's talk Cal Raleigh. Cal Raleigh led all catchers in home runs. He hit 30 of them. He also had 78 runs, 75 RBI. He batted 232. Now, he kind of was what we were talking about a lot in the offseason. Not just me, but a lot of people were kind of talking about that he's pretty much Mike Zanino, right? And it's kind of an easy, lazy comp that you're going to talk about a right-handed, or excuse me, a switch-hitting catcher, Zanino's right-handed catcher, um, who is going to hit you like 25, 30 home runs, who is going to hit like a 210, 220 batting average. It was a lazy comp. It was an easy comp. At the end of the day, it was a pretty correct comp. That's pretty much who Cal Raleigh is. He's going to hit you 25, 30 home runs. That he has shown us these past two seasons. Now, based on the games played and the at-bat played appearance totals, you would have probably hoped for even more than 30. Last year, he hit 27 in only 119 games. It was 415 played appearances, 370 at-bats. So he... You know, he took a step back there a little bit considering he played 145 games. His plate appearance total went up 150, and he only added three home runs. Not something I'm going to worry about considering he was still, you know, the major league leader in home runs for catchers, but something to take note of that maybe the power, like this is the absolute best case scenario. There's no way that you can possibly say next year Cal Raleigh is going for 35, 40 home runs. I think you're probably looking at low 20s, mid 20s in terms of home runs. I'm not 100% sure what that lineup is going to be. I know Teoscar Hernandez is a free agent, and it's still very early in the process. I mean, the playoffs are still going on. 
Uh, I, I don't know fully who is going to be there and back for a lot of these teams. We still have to go and dig into that. Are they going to be the same level offensively? Julio Rodriguez is going to be Julio Rodriguez. Outside of him, is that team really that impressive offensively? I don't know that they really are. Um, I think that they're fine, but I do think that Seattle is not an amazing team. I think that, I think that they're okay. I think that, you know, I think that they're okay. Like, there's not, I can't really give you that more than that. JP Crawford was good down the stretch. Is he going to keep that up? I don't know. We obviously know Julio's amazing. Yeah. Eugenio Suarez, eh, we, you know, he was okay. Jared Kellenick is, we don't really know yet. Sometimes he looks great, sometimes he looks terrible. And then the back half of that lineup, if you look at roster resource right now, Mike Ford, Ty France, Cade Marlowe, Josh Rojas, it's not amazing, right? We're not looking at an amazing team. I, I really don't know what to expect from him going forward in terms of the counting stats. I can tell you he's going to hit those home runs, but we might have to look at a little bit of variance with the counting stats. It might be 60 runs and 60 RBIs next year, and you're still getting that poor batting average with probably zero steals. So as much as I like Cal Raleigh, as much as he was a good bargain this season, he was going off the board at pick 211. I don't know that I'm going to be jumping so high uh, to draft him next season. I don't know that he's going to be one of the people that I am – or catchers specifically, that I'm saying, yeah, there's a good chance that he takes a step forward or he does exactly what he did again next year. He's a guy that I could definitely see there being a little bit of regression. Not to say that he's going to be bad or anything, but you know, I, I don't think it'll be this same level uh, of runs and RBIs to go along with. You know, Maybe we're not looking at 30 home runs again. He played 145 games, 569 plate appearances, 128 games behind the dish. That's a lot for a catcher. You're going to do that every year? Maybe you can while you're young. He's only 26, going to be 27 soon. But I don't know that we're going to be able to project 145 for him. You're probably looking at 130 in projections. In that case, we're pulling back the home runs. We're pulling back the runs in RBIs. That batting average was probably a little bit higher than we were hoping for. Well, my, it was better than we were hoping for. But I don't know that we're going to see 232 again, considering the BABIP was 273. I mean, last year his BABIP was 226. That's probably closer for a guy who's, you know, Catcher doesn't run very much. You're not looking at very high Babips. I know 273 isn't very high, but it's quite a bit higher than what he did in the previous year. It's probably the true number lies somewhere in the middle, and you're looking at like a 250 Babip with a 220 batting average. I just think we have to kind of keep our expectations in check for how much value uh, there is going to be in Cal Raleigh. Let's talk about JT Real Muto. Kind of a strange year. He didn't come in as highly ranked as a lot of people were probably expecting, obviously, as your number one catcher off the board. His ADP was 43. He only returned $9.7 in terms of your dollar value if you look at Rasball for 15 teamers. And what he gave you is actually still like pretty good. 20 homers, 16 steals, 70 runs, 63 RBIs, and a 252 batting average. That's where the value comes from with Real Muto. It is the stolen bases. Getting stolen bases from the catcher spot is something that is rare. We all know this. There's really nobody behind the dish who is stealing bases for you. There was Real Muto. This year you had Dalton Varsho as well, and then there were a few guys who had six here, five there. You know, that's going to be the big appeal of Real Muto. Dalton Varsho is going to be losing catcher eligibility. Real Muto is going to be the only guy who you can realistically say he's probably going to be a double-digit steal catcher. Could there be another guy who sneaks in the mix, one or two? Yeah, there could but I'm not going to be really expecting it. Like Moreno could get there with a full season. Bo Naylor could get there. Um, Blake Sable could probably get there. I'm not 
100% sure, though. Like, there's really not that much certainty in terms of your steals with catchers. If you are trying to get steals from every position, if that is something that you want to have a strength, then Real Muto is the best option. You you know you're getting probably 10 to 15 steals at a minimum, and I'm regressing that a little bit after the past couple of years because he is getting a little bit older. Real Muto is going to be 33 by the time next season starts. He's caught 133 games this year. He did not... He was not a DH in a single game, which is kind of a little bit surprising. Like I, I'm not looking at his career splits right now, but I would have assumed that he would be getting some the odd DH day here and there. But he was either catching, or he was not in the lineup. How much is he going to be able to play as he gets older? He is a catcher who has a lot of mileage under him. If you look back, pretty much every single season, he's playing 120, 130, even sometimes 140 games. Going back to 2015, you're looking at 126, 137, 141, 125, 145. The COVID year, you throw it away, only 47 games. And then after that, 134, 139, 135. A lot of people will say, well, that's stability. He can go out there and he can give you those at-bats every single season. Yes, but you also are only stable until you're not. There's a, He's playing a position that is really hard on the body, and he's been playing it for a long time. Is he going to be able to still give you 135, 140 next year? I don't know. We already are seeing him kind of decline a little bit. He played the, pretty much the same number of games. He was within uh, 22 plate appearances and 15 at-bats of last year, and yet we saw fewer home runs, runs, RBI, stolen bases, and a batting average that was 24 points lower. Is he somebody that I think is still going to be at the cream of the crop for catcher? Yes, but we're probably going to overdraft him just because he is JT Real Muto. We know the name value. He got nominated for a gold glove, or he's a finalist for a gold glove, in large part because of the name value. So it's not just the fantasy world that does this. It is everybody that kind of looks back on these names that we know and we've had experience with and success with in the past, and we don't really properly regress them as they get older i mean the numbers will do it the projections people the numbers people will the average person will see jt real muto and the fact that he led catches and steals and he had 20 home runs and he's on a great team and they'll pick him very high up again next year i wouldn't be doing it he was a top 50 pick on yahoo in one catcher leagues this year he killed you and from that perspective he was the 227th ranked player overall so uh, there's no need to be taking him that high or any catcher that high but JT Realmuto in, in particular we might be looking at like a 15 and 15 season next year with a 250 batting average and somebody who doesn't return a top 300 fantasy season it is possible I don't know that it's likely but I'm not going to be terribly bullish on Realmuto heading into 2024 moving on to catcher number seven it was Salvador Perez. He still returned pretty decent value. I mean, it was only in terms of a dollar value, $7.3 valuation. But all things considered, it was actually not a bad year uh, for Sal Perez. Again, the ADP was probably too high at 71. But you got 80 RBIs. You got 23 homers, a 250 batting average, 255 batting average, excuse me, uh, and 59 runs scored. Pretty solid for Salvador Perez. Now, he's going to be looking at first base eligibility heading into next season as well. He will be the first guy that we have talked about so far today who will have a second position uh, heading into next year, unless I've missed something, but I don't think I have. Uh, he is going to, he played 23 times at first. He was a DH 29 times, and he was behind the dish 91 times. So you are going to have catcher and first base for those that do value that. And there is definitely some value in it. I don't have too much of a value 
if it's a catcher who has a second position and versus if it's a guy like our show from last year who was catcher eligible but didn't play catcher, that's a lot more valuable in terms of dual catcher eligibility stuff. But nonetheless, you'll take it. It doesn't hurt to have a second position of eligibility. Sal Perez is fine at this point of his career. Uh, he's nothing to write home about, really. He played a lot. He played 140 games, which I think is more than we were expecting, but the power is not what it used to be. He had the same number of home runs in 2023 and 2024, despite having more than 100 more at-bats and plate appearances. Or the at-bats were just about 100, but it was about 107 plate appearances more. Same number of homers. Not ideal. Now, the runs and RBIs went up a touch, but you're not looking at somebody who was an amazing asset. He was fine. He, he, was, he was totally fine as a catcher. You weren't worried about really dropping him or moving him out of your lineup. He was somebody that you were starting, and he did his job. Um, I don't know how excited I am going to be about Sal Perez heading into next year, though. Again, we're not looking at a young guy. He's going to be 34 early into next season. A lot of mileage under him, which is why they're moving him out of you know from behind the plate and putting him at first base a little bit more. I just don't see the production coming back to what we were used to back in the day, which was a batting average that was maybe 20 points higher than this. Generally speaking, in the 270 kind of range, 280 kind of range, you were seeing like upper 20s home runs with 60-ish runs, 70 to 80 RBIs. You're probably not going to see that unless he's able to get there by volume again. And if he's able to get to 140 games again, it would, it would surprise me at this point of his career. Now, he is not the oldest guy. Like I said, he's going to be 34, but he did debut when he was 21 years old. So he's another guy with a lot of mileage under him. We see the isolated power going down, the, the home run total. Like I said, it stayed the same, but it should have gone up based on volume, based on plate appearances, and it didn't. The batting average is lower than it used to be. It's not terrible, but 255 is, I mean, it's fine. Like for a catcher, it's fine. But Sal Perez is somebody who you've been paying a premium on in drafts. He was number three catcher this year because you are used to a really good batting average with great power stats. And also 2021 is probably still fairly fresh in people's minds. And that does kind of inflate how you view him. The guy who just hit 48 home runs a couple of years ago. He's never going to do that again. It was very clear that that was an outlier season, and he's not going to be anywhere close to that. You're probably looking at 20 home runs next year. Maybe he gets to 55, 60 runs, 60 to 70 RBI kind of range probably because I don't think we're going to see the volume. The 140 games, the 580 plate appearances, I don't think we get there again. It's just a lot to ask of a guy his age who is kind of moving into – not he's not there yet, but moving into more of kind of like an advisory kind of presence there to mentor the young guys. I, he's not, he's still obviously playing and making a lot of money for the team, but they're not really playing for much next year. Certainly, they didn't play for anything this year, and I don't see them pushing him to play extra games down the stretch or anything because they're going to be out of it. They're going to be out of the playoff push by the second week of April. We already know how it's going to go for them. Their manager or their general manager, or owner, whoever it was. They had a pretty embarrassing press conference the other day where they talked about how Jordan Lyles was, he essentially said he's going to be back in the rotation next year. You're going to get another 180 innings out of him, which is like a 6-plus ERA. So that's pretty much what you can expect as a Royals fan. It's not going to be a rosy year. And I just don't think we can really expect Sal Perez to continue to give you great top 10 catcher seasons. Maybe he sneaks into the back end there and he finishes as the 8th or ninth or 10th catcher next season. But considering the price you had to pay for him this year, which was a top 100 pick, he was the 71st player off the board by ADP. It's just not worth it. And if he's going anywhere close to that next year, uh, then I'm going to be all the way out on him once again. 
Let's talk about Wilson Contreras. I have talked about him a little bit. I talked about him because I drafted him in the early league that I'm doing, uh, the On The Wire Listener League. I talked about it, uh, when was it now? A couple weeks ago, a week and a half ago maybe. Went into his numbers a little bit. He was great down the stretch. The second half of Wilson Contreras' season, he really figured it out. And he finished the season with 20 home runs, 67 ribbies, 55 runs scored, 6 stolen bases, and a 264 batting average. 97 games behind the dish, 30 as a designated hitter for him, 495 plate appearances for the season. Like I said, it was the second half, really, because if this was just the first half of the season I had to base everything on, I wouldn't be very interested. But in those 45 games down the stretch, he batted 309. He hit half of his home runs, which is pretty good, uh, considering he took him 78 games to hit his first 10, only 45 for his second 10. And he was just overall kind of more comfortable, a better player down the stretch. And we see it happen sometimes, a lot of the time. It was Trey Turner as well this year. Players in new destinations, and this is not something that I think, I mean, there's probably been some research done, but it's not something that there's like a ton of data on, I don't think. Players in their, with their first year in big contracts, new teams, new, new cities, new country, whatever, they tend to struggle a little bit. He figured it out down the stretch, and he gave you a classic Wilson Contreras season. Few steals, better than the average catcher. You're looking at six, where the average was generally one or two, maybe for a catcher. Batting average went up to 264. The counting stats were pretty much what you were expecting. Like he gave you a classic Wilson Contreras season. Next year, I think I'm going to project him to do even better. You're probably going to be looking at more counting stats. That offense, as much as St. Louis struggled and they were garbage this year, 71 and 91, the worst team in the National League Central. I talked about this a lot. They were pretty solid offensively. Down the stretch, these rankings did suffer because in September they were really, really garbage, but they still finished 13th in the league in hits, 11th in on-base percentage, 12th in home runs. They were a top-half offense, and for most of the year they were a top-10 offense. They're not a team that I expect to struggle and stay down on the mat for another season. I would really expect them to get back up and probably give you, at worst, a 500-plus season, like an 85-win kind of season. That team offensively is still going to be doing the same kind of things. Wilson Contreras will probably be doing the same things that we've seen from him, and there's no reason to think that he can't give you this kind of season again for the next several seasons. Now, he was going off the board as the sixth catcher. 107 was his ADP. Excuse me, 108 was his ADP. I'll take that. I mean, if he's going outside the top 100 again, then that's probably going to be an interesting spot because, like I said, there are going to be people who still push up the real Mutos and the Rutschmans of the world. You're going to get to a point where you want to have somebody, probably, and if you're outside of the top 100 at that point, Wilson Contreras, I really don't have a problem with taking him there at all. He gave you a great season. I'm interested to see if there's any kind of changes with the team, uh, front office. Man- I think they said the manager will return, even though there was a lot of kind of animosity and weird decision-making and a bunch of bullshit, in all honesty, that we saw. But I think he's going to return. We'll have to see how that works out. Because you got to remember, there was a point of the year where we thought that we were going to see him put in the outfield, in right field. But we didn't see that. Uh, we'll have to kind of just assess what happens heading into next year. But I'm going to be pretty in on Wilson Contreras. I see no reason to not like his outlook uh, heading into 2024. So that is the top eight. Number nine is Sean Murphy. Sean Murphy was a very curious case this season. Just talked about how hot um, Wilson Contreras was in the second half. Sean Murphy in the second half was dreadful, and I think a lot of people would have happily, if they'd known what was coming in the second half from him, cut him from their team. Whether you're talking 12, 15, whatever it was, down the stretch in the second half of the season, there was 40 games. He batted 159 with four home runs. The first half of the season, the first 66 games, 17 homers, 55 ribbies. He batted 306. 
it was incredible. It was incredible as well because uh, Travis Darnot was getting some of that playing time. He was getting more of the playing time at first to start the season, and then Darnot got hurt. Murphy got thrust into that full kind of everyday role, and then the rest was kind of history there until he kind of started to struggle in the second half. He still ended up with a career high in home runs. Despite playing 40 fewer games than last year, he still had more home runs, more RBIs. He was within two runs scored, and his batting average was one point higher. So because of how excellent the first half of the season was for Sean Murphy, it still ended up being a career year. Despite having almost 200 fewer plate appearances, it was kind of an incredible thing to have happen, but here you are. He was incredible. But once he was bad, he was unplayable. What do we make of Sean Murphy? Well, I think we're probably going to see something similar next year in terms of the overall production, but we'll probably see him a little bit more. Travis Darnot is getting a little bit older. Is he going to be able to take as many reps behind the plate? Probably not. I would expect they give Murphy that time because we know that Murphy can handle it. Look, Just look at 2022, 148 games, 612 plate appearances. He can take on more of a workload than just 108 games, and we saw him behind the dish for 102 of them. I think we're probably going to see him push closer to like 120. And in that lineup, I think you're going to be very happy to have him have any piece of that lineup. Really, it doesn't matter who it is. We saw Orlando Arcia, who no one was interested in at all coming into the season. No one thought he'd even be on the team coming into the season. We were all expecting, myself included, Von Grissom. One of my biggest misses in rankings for this year was having Von Grissom ranked as my number 10 second baseman. And then, well, we all know how that worked out. Orlando Arcia was the guy, and it doesn't take much in that lineup. Even the number nine hitter, we've seen it with Michael Harris the last couple seasons as well. Batting ninth doesn't matter. You can still produce. Sean Murphy, even if he's the number eight hitter, I'm still going to be happy with him. And there is a chance that based on the second half of the season, a lot of people were very unhappy with Murphy, and a lot of people did end up dropping Sean Murphy down the stretch. If you're looking at his final roster percentage on Yahoo, he ended the year 84 there were people that like he was a 99, 98% guy or 95 at worst for most of the season. And then people started to get frustrated with Sean Murphy and cut loose at the end of the season. I really think that there's nothing truly to worry about. And it was like, what do I say? 45 games. It's not really enough of a sample size for me to look and say that I'm really worried, especially because the previous 80 were so good. You're looking at natural kind of variance from a guy who is a very talented player in a great lineup. There will be people who have the scorned lover narrative in their head and say, I had to drop him last year. He sucked for me down the stretch. I'm not taking him this year. And by that, you will have him falling by ADP in certain drafts. And you might be able to get Sean Murphy later than last year. And last year, you were getting Sean Murphy as the 177th player off the board. I'm thinking it'll probably be in that similar kind of range, maybe 150 to 170. But in individual drafts, he may fall just because certain people were not happy with the way that he was able to end his season. And you can't blame them. He was terrible down the stretch. But because of that, you might be able to get him at a discount heading into 2024. And I would take it. A piece of that Braves lineup, especially somebody who has proven that they can give you great... Like, even with the bad second half, you're still looking at a 129 WRC+. You're still 29% better than league average if you include the terrible second half. I'm definitely still in on Sean Murphy. Number 10 here, and the last guy we are going to cover in today's show, the first half, was Yainer Diaz. Yainer Diaz, I, I honestly, like, I'm not somebody who pays a hell of a lot of attention to the minor league, to the prospect game, who's going to be a good player tomorrow, next year. I do to some degree, a little bit here and there. 
especially if like somebody that I know, friends of mine, the Welsh, Eric Cross, Chris Clegg, James Anderson, if these guys are talking about a prospect who is highly touted, I'll I'll make a note of it. I'll hear about it. And there are, you know, I do my own independent research a little bit, but I definitely focus more on the redraft game. I was when I say I was stunned with Yainer Diaz, it doesn't really begin to cut it with what he did this season. He was a superstar. He was a league winner. If you were able to Let's say you, you, and there's probably a few people out there, and I wonder if anybody specifically, if you, if this was you, I want you to reach out, and I will talk about you on the show. If somebody had Sean Murphy in the first half of the season, cut bait when the going got rough, and then picked up Yaner Diaz and used his stats down the stretch, he finished in 104 games, 23 homers, 60 RBIs, 51 runs scored, and a 282 batting average. 538 slugging percentage as well. He had a 127 WRC+. Plus. Incredible. Incredible. Like, I don't know where this came from necessarily. Um, He was not somebody that, I mean, if you look at the minor league numbers, they were good, and he was talked about probably a little bit, but this was something that I don't think anybody saw coming to this extent. Uh, Hitting homers at like a 35 home run pace. This kind of production in terms of the volume is maybe expected in the Houston lineup, but still 60 RBI and 51 runs. You're looking at 111 runs plus RBIs in 104 games. You're cooking with gas there. And the 282 batting average is just the chef's kiss of the whole equation from behind the plate. Now, I don't know how much of this I'm going to necessarily expect moving forward. Part of it is that there is the wild card factor of Dusty Baker. Dusty Baker does really weird, stupid bullshit with his lineup. And we, we all know it. We all have seen it for the last couple of years now. Kyle Tucker, biting sixth, as recently as last night. It's the postseason. You want your best players to have more at-bats. You don't want to move a guy down just because he's had a bad few games. No reason to move a guy like Kyle Tucker, who is going to get MVP votes down the lineup. There's no reason for guys like Chaz McCormick to be sitting and Martin Maldonado getting at-bats. But we see nonsense from Dusty Baker. And that's not to take away from him. He is a great manager. He gets the job done. He won, He's the reigning World Series champion. He's been around for a long time. But that doesn't mean we have to like it for fantasy purposes. There is a lot of moves he makes for fantasy that don't make sense to me. If Maldonado is back, and I'm not 100% sure of the contract situation or what he's going to do or if he comes back, and maybe it'll be somebody else, I'm not 100% sure we're going to see Diaz get the reins fully because we didn't fully 100% see it even down the stretch here. Like, we saw him play most games, but he wasn't playing every single day. And that kind of pissed me off. There was plenty of times when he was pinch hitting. He'd come in late in the game. He'd play first base sometimes. He wasn't the everyday catcher. And if he, if we knew he was going to be the everyday catcher, I'd be really, really invested in him for next season. As of right now, I don't know that I can be like that invested. I'm going to be interested, but I think we have to see how it, how it shakes out. Um, and we won't really even know until next season. It's going to have to be something we kind of just guess and we'll see what happens with free agency if they bring in somebody, if pieces move around. That will dictate how I feel about it. As of right now, he's not somebody who walks a hell of a lot. The strikeout rate is good, but we're talking about a 3% walk rate, 19% K rate. The BABIP was 292, batting average was 282. I would probably expect the batting average to come down a little bit. Overall, I don't really know how I feel about Diaz yet. And I put it out on Twitter when I said I was doing this show talking about catchers, uh, to ask any questions you guys got. And one of the questions was, Project Gainer Diaz, real deal, or will the plate discipline issues be exploited? 
I think it's somewhere in between. I don't know that there is a right or wrong answer. I think that the plate discipline issues, I mean, it's not even really discipline because he's only striking out 19% of the time. It's more the fact of he's not drawing walks. And I mean, that does come back to discipline to some degree, but it's not like he's a 30% K rate guy. He is striking out less than the average player. I think part of it is going to be just naturally, we're not going to see this many home runs from anybody. He probably got a little bit lucky. 23 homers in 104 games. He's shown good power in the minors, and maybe that's sustainable, but I don't think we're going to see him hit that same number. I don't think the batting average is going to be the same, and I don't really trust Dusty Baker. So if I had to make a rough projection right now, I'd probably say that he plays in about the same number of games. Let's call it maybe 110. I'll call it 16 home runs, 65 runs scored, 62 RBIs, and a 250 five batting average that's probably what i would say from diaz you're probably looking at zero to one stolen bases that's generally what he's been in the minors uh, this year he didn't steal any bases at all that's that i think that's probably about a fair projection for him as much as i'd like to think yeah you can just prorate what he did this year over a full season and you're looking at a 35 home run 100 rbi guy i'm not quite ready to just anoint him the next fantasy savior behind the dish yet i think he'll be very good but uh, like Martin said here in the question, there are some issues. I'm not 100% sure about Dusty. We'll have to kind of see uh, how that shakes out with him. Now, there was one or two questions that I am going to leave for tomorrow's show because they'll be more pertinent for the players we are going to be talking about tomorrow. But one of the questions was from the, from Bill here, uh, with home run leader Cal Raleigh sitting on benches in 12-team leagues in 2023, just don't draft one. Am I right? That is the question. You can make an argument. You can definitely make an argument that you do not need to draft a catcher at all in a 12-team league. You can, I mean, last pick, take one, sure, and then just ride the hot hand, ride whoever has the best matchup and schedule um, for that week or that month or that day, depending on how your settings work. You can make that argument. You don't need to use high draft capital, and I kind of did make that argument earlier in the show. It's not necessary to spend really high draft picks on guys who are not going to return that value just because there's more of a positional scarcity. You can, but it's also not something that I would really, really suggest. Adley Rutschman is probably going to be a top 50 pick next year. I know I said earlier he's probably going to be 50 to 70 range. There will be people who take him as a top 50 pick. Specifically, this is not two-catcher oriented. This is more for one-catcher leagues. Just two-catcher leagues you could very reasonably make the argument that he is a top 50 pick, and he probably is. But even in your one-catcher leagues, people will take him and Real Muto and maybe even Jonah Heim and Will Smith, and they'll take these guys in the top 60, 70, 80 picks, and there's a very low likelihood that they will return that value just because they won't get there from volume. They generally don't steal bases, and generally you don't see a terribly high batting average from catchers either. They have to get there with the homers, the steal, or excuse me, homers, the runs, and the RBIs. That's pretty much how the path works for catchers to get value. I don't see anybody as of right now returning enough value to make them a top 50 pick as a catcher in 2024. Can it happen? Absolutely it can happen. Real Muto can jump back up to 25 steals, add a couple of homers, batting average ticks back up, and then he's the 28th ranked player. It happened just last year. We could see it. But I don't think you need to draft based on you know the fact that like a guy like Cal Raleigh, who's you know, he ended up, you know, getting hot down the stretch, hitting 30 home runs, but he was somebody who was sitting on a lot of waiver wires. You know, Francisco Alvarez, we'll talk about tomorrow, another guy. He hit, you know, he was 20, whatever, 26 home runs or something. He was sitting on a lot of waiver wires. So, yes, he did go cold, but there are options that pop up throughout the year. 
at catcher. Not to say that they are going to be amazing. And like I said at the beginning, I said it a few times, the season-long consistency of having a catcher who is a positive value, there's not that many of them. So if you do want to splurge and take one of those guys and just say, yeah, okay, I took Rutschman. I probably took him a little bit earlier than I should, but I know I'm getting 140, 150 games of solid production across four. Maybe I get a couple steals, four categories, and I don't have to worry about streaming, and I don't have to worry about that headache behind the dish. It really comes down, and I say this a lot, to what kind of fantasy player you are. I can say I can sit here talking for hours and hours about what I would do, but at the end of the day, you guys are the ones who have to manage these teams. Do you want to be worried about streaming a catcher every week? Would you prefer to take an anchor? It really is up to you guys. Um, let me know what you think over on Twitter, at JoeOrico99, also at EthosFantasyBB. If you got any questions, preferably send them over to, to my personal account. If you got anything, I mean... Anything at all baseball-related at this point, you guys can ask questions about. But, but specifically, uh, catchers will talk tomorrow about numbers 11 through 20. And then maybe there will be one or two other guys that we mention. I'll also get to the questions we didn't talk about today because they do more pertain to the guys we are going to be talking about uh, in tomorrow's show. But that'll do it. Again, reach out over on social media. Let me know what you think over in the rating and review section of the podcast app slash site that you guys are using. It really does help us out to get seen by more people here in the off season. There's not a hell of a lot of baseball and fantasy baseball content. So please do support your boy. If you have not done so already, like I said, we'll be back tomorrow, but until then take care guys, have a great night and cheers. Cheers.